now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. What's up, everybody, and welcome into this virtual edition of College Basketball Recruiting Weekly. I'm your host, 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting, Adam Finkelstein, and we just got off the road with the end of the July recruiting period, which wrapped up with the NCA Academy in Memphis, Tennessee, which is why we are not in the studio this week. But instead, we are going to bring you content uh, from different places, uh, including Matt Norlander from CBSSports.com, who just had a major story break on CBS about the changing landscape of the NCAA calendar and how it could and very likely will impact the recruiting world next year. He and I are going to unpack that uh, in detail. And then Eric Bossi will come on and join me and we will break down what we saw at the NCAA Academy. All that and more coming up in the next 30 minutes. Make sure to stick with us, or if you'd rather listen, you can find us now in the Apple podcast section. Just search College Basketball Recruiting Weekly. We've got great stuff coming each and every week. All right, everybody, welcome back. CBS Sports lead college basketball reporter Matt Norlander joining us today. Matt just reported some potentially groundbreaking news for the college basketball calendar, which will, of course, impact the recruiting calendar. Uh, Matt, some big changes coming next year, uh, according to your recent reports. Yes, uh, this is not yet official, but okay. I had a two-part story go up uh, last week, and essentially, as you well know, Adam, um, because of the uh, the transfer portal and NIL, it has led to uh, just a calendar crunch for coaches. And this isn't you know millionaire coaches complaining about not having right. free time. This is assistants at mid and low major levels who are making you know thirty thousand, thirty five thousand dollars a year, right. just as much as it is the multi million dollar coaches. So. Um, and this is the rare topic, Adam, that has, if not universal, near universal backing and support. And for the first time in a long time, the National Association of Basketball Coaches has been able to actually get the their voice heard at the NCAA level to implement change in a way that would directly impact college basketball. Sometimes these things get changed and what is good for lacrosse or hockey might not be good for basketball. I won't bore you with the details, but this is a major change. So not yet official, but yes, here are the main takeaways. If this is passed in October by the division one council, the calendar for the, and this is for the off season, the regular season, this is not what we're talking about. We're talking mm -hmm. about how the sport is built your area of expertise. So the transfer portal, mm -hmm. 60 to 30 day shrinkage. That is expected to be the case, not just in men's basketball, but across NCAA sports. A big reason why NCAA data suggests the overwhelming amount, as in north of 90% of transfers happen in the first 30 days of a window. And then the final two days, you've got this huge spike, uh, right. 11th hour. So it's expected that it will go from 60 to 30 days and the portal will open at some point in March or April when it actually opens is up for debate. I detail that in my story on cbssports.com. But regardless, 
April, which has long been the month where live evaluations have taken place. Right. Major shoe companies have their spring circuits. They play, Some of those games get played without coaches in attendance. Some get played with them. Now, that will get moved to May, and April will be dedicated to the transfer portal, hosting transfers for official visits, coaches flying out to do visits with these transfers wherever they may be based. So that is a major shift, and I actually couldn't get an answer to this from coaches. And I went back to coaches who have been around for 25 years. I tried to find out the last time that April did not have a live period that coaches could not watch in, uh high school. Recruits. I can remember it. It's happened. It's happened before. I've been doing this for, for yeah. 20 years and, and I can remember when April went dead. Uh, so it, it has happened before. So it's, but it's been, but it's been a long time because I started at CBS in two, uh, late 2010 and it's been there since I started. So yeah. Uh, so in the in the mid aughts, and then there would be a live period that would be brought to May, one weekend, one weekend only. And before we get into the further months, I do want to actually cue you up, Adam, on this one thing because what I learned in reporting the story, and I guess I had heard some of this in recent years, but I guess I had forgotten that I had heard it, was apparently a lot of grassroots coaches on these different circuits have been asking for this change for a long time because, in their opinion at least with some of them, they believe that getting these players who are coming off of their high school seasons and then play with their travel teams, um, that they weren't yet gelled. They needed an extra two or three weeks, and they yeah. would always prefer them to be watched by coaching staffs in May when they had a couple of, of weeks uh, underneath their legs. Have you heard the same? Would you agree with that sentiment? Uh, I would agree with that sentiment. I do think um, that early on in April, when college coaches are allowed out, it's 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 not as organized as it tends to be. The typical, let's take college coaches out of it. Typically, from a grassroots standpoint, uh, once the high school season's over, kids go almost directly into uh, the grassroots season. Depending on when their high school season ends, they may or may not have a little bit of a break as as others finish up. But you go right into grassroots season. And then it's it's been that the you know last two weekends, um, unless you have the final four, unless you have Easter, the holiday weekend, historically become those live weekends. And, and that, in my opinion, is not typically uh, the, the best version of those teams and by extension, those kids. So I, I do think that is a that is a fair, a fair sentiment. Now, here's here's my question, because what's fascinating about all this is that last week, the NCA released next year's recruiting calendar. It came out last week and it said basically it said like, OK, business as usual, two weekends in April, two scholastic weekends in June. Uh, they're going to shrink July a little bit, meaning that this year where we had four days in the first week and two weeks, two days in the second week, it's going to go down to three days in the first week and no second week with then the NCA Academy being the last option. So am I to understand you correctly that that may be kind of pulled back now that it might just be like a psych moment like now we're not really going to do that next year. You are to understand me correctly. Now, I want to uh, at least put this Genius. out. There. I know. I know. Trust me, because I was I've been reporting on this story in this calendar behind the scenes for six, seven weeks at this point. Right. So, uh, yes. So I saw this is now when people are listening. This has been more than a week since this calendar was sent out. It wasn't this big public announcement. It went to it went to every coach. And right. saying, here's the here's the calendar for next year. And so then I get hit up on Friday and Saturday being like, uh, I guess this is it. And then I had to double back and be like, oh, hold on a second. Like, is this it? And no. So 
while there is the uh, there is a slight possibility that what I have reported and the proposed calendar, which has not been approved yet, could theoretically get shot down or pushed back a year. Every indication I've gotten, not just from coaches, but people with the NABC talking to Craig Robinson, who heads up the NABC, talking to people on the men's basketball oversight committee. The belief is what I reported late last week is going to either identically or closely resemble what ultimately gets passed, provided that people that are outside the world of college basketball, not dealing with it on a day by day and week by week basis, don't look at this and mess it up because what is happening here is what the coaches are asking for. They are asking for April to be not every single coach, but the majority, they want April to be dedicated to the portal. They want one live weekend in May. They don't want to have on the weekends that have major holidays, mother's day, father's day, Easter, when it's not during the season, Memorial day, 4th of July and Juneteenth dark days. You cannot go see a recruit. A recruit cannot see you. That is, that is going to be great to see our kids on father's day. That would be right. Uh, And you know what I did? This is such a wide ranging story, Adam, that I, I, and it it was long. It was two pieces. It was long as this. I couldn't get really into the weeds, but I must've had a dozen coaches talk to me about how absurd it is this year and years past that they are freaking on the road recruiting on Father's Day. Yeah, well, it's because they they're trying to, to avoid it's because they're trying to avoid the first two weekends of June because a lot of people are still in school. And that that I get. I mean, I, but yeah, it's it's that sucks, you know, being on the road and, and on Father's Day. And, and truthfully, I, I come off like I, I'm just saying, hey, I watch enough, you know, because I'm not yes. we're out regardless of the recruiting calendar. So, mm-hmm. all right, here's my here's my quick questions. Okay, You said the the date. Uh, that the transfer portal will open is still a little up in the air. It seems to me that there's you're almost like penalized for being good right now. I mean, I, I would think they have to start this after the final four. Otherwise, the teams that are in the final four are almost penalized. However, the the thing that pops in my head is like NBA free agency, where start date is not really the start date. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. So it, it would seem like that's those are two variables they have to try and uh, negotiate a little bit. Yes, because when a player has made up his mind, a player has made up his mind, and you and I both know that in some cases, players make up their mind by Christmas. So yeah, yeah whenever it opens, it's official and it's in. But nevertheless, when and, and there's nothing stopping a player from tweeting on February 17th, <laughs> theoretically, like, uh, I plan to enter the transfer right. portal at the end of the season, but I'm here to support my team. Like, there's nothing stopping that from happening, but the news cycle and the attention in earnest will begin once the portal officially opens and you see names in an official capacity actually enter that thing. And you're, I, this is going to, it's guaranteed to tick off coaches because there is no universal answer for this. There are yeah. coaches that believe my season ends March 18th. Why do I need to wait until April right. 5th when, when that can actually poison my locker room? I think that the portal should be a team by team thing. A lot of mid major coaches believe that, but others think, no, we should be going and opening this thing after the final four. I had one coach that made the second, uh, second week in the tournament. Um, last season he texted me we did six zooms meeting zooms with transfers when we were on site in the ncaa tournament last season like this is you know if you got to get business done you got to get it done whatever we're not breaking out the violence for these guys but ideally you don't want to have to be doing that when you're trying to make a deep push into the ncaa tournament so the portal start date will probably be either Monday after the first weekend, this past year, it was after selection Sunday. That's going away. That, that No one wants that. It's bad for the sport. You can't have the bracket revealed. And then the next right. day, you've got 500 names in the portal, Adam. Okay. So it'll either be the Monday after the first weekend, the Monday after the Elite Eight, which is the favorite right now. Yep. 
after the tournament ends. So that would either be the Tuesday or Wednesday or team by team. We will wait and see on that. I know we're trying to do a quick hit here, so I'm going to try and cram in a ton of info. Uh, um, I also I got want another to- question. You, you okay, go. go ahead. Go ahead. Me- Lay it on me. Okay. Lay it on me. What about what about grad transfers? Are they, is it still uh, open season? No rules for grad transfers. That's another element that I uh, that I debated putting in the story, but it would have added another like 300 words, and I didn't want to. Part over- three over- coming up, coming soon. Yeah, uh, exactly. So. Um, cause trust me, I talked to a number of coaches, particularly John Shire. Like I interviewed him on site at peach jam. And when I thought, you know, we had talked about what we needed to talk about on the record. He's like, I got one more thing I got to say. And he went on this thing about grad transfers. Cause he's got Ryan young. He's like, I hate the fact that, um, Ryan young could technically come to me on like August 8th and be like, coach, sorry, I'm out of here. I don't know if, or when that particular issue is going to get changed. I'll be a okay. bit more clear here if, for people that aren't clear. If you are a grad transfer, you are not. In summer courses, there is nothing holding you back from staying with the team you are on until a couple of weeks before the fall. You can go on begins. a foreign tour, not be Correct. happy with your playing time yes. and say, hey, I'm out on August 20th and go play somewhere else on September 1st. Is that you that's can, not an exaggeration, correct? It is. It is not an exaggeration. And while it, it would be fair for someone to say, hold on, like how often is, is this going to happen? That's fair. But also the reason why it's, it's particularly uh fraught right now is there are more power conferences than not teams that don't have all of their scholarships filled so it's not like oh, you yeah. say, well like would they even have room yeah they would there's a lot of t- there are 13 scholarships that are allotted okay Matt, i will i will say this i'm in prep school country in new england and i have never seen more college coaches trying to scoop incoming postgrads right now to fill out their rosters there are more spots available than ever um, all right. Second question. I or th- whatever question I'm on um, the as it relates to the recruiting calendar, the current proposal, please correct me if I'm wrong. One uh, non-scholastic weekend in May, one scholastic weekend in June. Yes, it is. It is going from two down to one. And it's really an elongated weekend. It is a five day period. This is your absolute wheelhouse here so that and I use this specific example in the story so that if Michigan and Ohio want to do their high school based scholastic teams, they don't want them competing to get coaches. So Michigan says, you know what, we'll do our two day thing on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday can be the day where coaches take off or travel. And then Sunday, Monday, Ohio gets it. Or if you're if you're a coach recruiting and you have two big targets and one of them is in North Carolina and one of them is in Connecticut or Massachusetts, New England, whatever, hopefully it, it lands so that you can go to one one region for two days and to another region for, for two more days. So yes, only one live weekend in June. There's a lot of other stuff, reasons that's, why they want to do that. Yeah. But yes. And that's not that's naive because everybody's going to go all five days. That's just okay. Fair enough. Days. But I'm just telling yeah. you. Like, no, no, I know. I'm not, I'm not shooting the messenger. Um, yeah, I got you. And then July is how many days? July will be Eight days total. So July is is going to be as um, without the, minus the NCA Academy. So how many days for not? Well, well, that's that's the other big factor with this. And I, we are really in the weeds, but your your audience appreciates this stuff. So July, yeah. you are either on campus with your team or yeah. you were at an event recruiting. You cannot have recruits come see you. You cannot see recruits. It is either a dead period or an evaluation period. And at these evaluation periods, coaches are not by rule allowed to actually directly talk to recruits face to face. So if this goes through next year, it would be July 11 to 14. That is all of your Peach Jam 
your Under Armour, your three SSB, which I would think they're going to stay in that same area, Georgia, South Carolina. I actually think yep. it makes a ton of sense. I think that should become the hub. Now, to your point with the Academy, your question on that, the second weekend is the weekend after, four days. And the NCAA Academy, I know you were down there. I polled 11 coaches who went. I asked them to rate it 1 to 10 decimal points allowed. The average rating from those 11 coaches, and they were high majors and mid-majors, was 7.1, which is pretty solid. No one went yeah, lower was. than a 5. I had one coach go as high as 8.75. I heard it was better for mid-majors and lows than highs. Really good for 16s, apparently. Point is this. Yes. It's not cheap to do that. No. They don't, a lot of coaches don't like when it is on the calendar, and I think the NCAA is aware of that. So the question becomes, can you move it on the calendar? Where do you move it? They don't want to add more evaluation days on this calendar. Do you do something like, as I put in my story, I don't know if they'd be willing to do this, but um, a lot of coaches are craving the Vegas setup, probably because it's Vegas, but, but also because, as you well know, for so many years, that was where you had an Adidas team play a Nike team in a showcase. And you that have happened a, again this year, Adidas and Under Armour. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it's not quite what it was prior F, pre FBI thing. Right. So I just wonder if the NCAA Academy does continue to exist and there's no guarantee that it will, but I think it's got more momentum now than people thought it might've had a month ago, but we'll see Would the NCAA willing to say, okay, we're only gonna have two live weekends in July. And if we've got to have the Academy after the peach jam and all the Under Armour and, and, and Adidas, uh, all that stuff ends in the first weekend. Why don't we just go put it in Vegas so that if if coaches and and particularly if it's they, good if it's good mid major they don't have the courts that's it's I, well I, Vegas is huge though Adam they literally yeah don't but have they the courts. they want it all under one roof they want it all under one roof so I they I couldn't think use that, the old Adidas facility there I think I'm there's like, only what I was what I heard and okay. I you know this is unofficial but what I heard this okay. weekend were the only options for this it might be possible in Indianapolis where the NCAA is based mm -hmm. and Orlando where you have kind yes. of old AAU nationals. Um, all right. I know we're, we're taking up more time. So let me just confirm, uh, four days in July and the second weekend would be the NCA Academy. No, that is, uh, th that is not clear whatsoever yet because, and I'll be quick on this one, the NCAA Academy needs to get voted through for approval on a budget level at the NCAA to even happen in 2024. And I was okay. told through two sources that it costs North of $8 million dollars per year for, boy, for the boys this. and girls i heard the same yes that's expensive and so the second weekend can still be you know the stuff that happened in vegas or wherever else but they make a billion dollars a year off the ncaa tournament just saying I, yeah. I hey i i i hear you but people yeah. that look at the balance sheets have to actually approve this if it happened i still think it would be the second weekend of july but that is no guarantee and it still even has to get passed adam matt Thank you so much. Potential major changes coming. Let me let me end with this. I feel like the pendulum is swinging a little bit. And initially it was all about rightfully so player rights. You know, they needed they ought to be compensated. And but we totally took uh, coaches rights out of consideration and all due respect to the power five head coaches. Uh, nobody's feeling bad for the guys making, you know, millions of dollars a year flying to their places on the chartered flights. It is to your yes. previous point the low major assistant who has to figure out how to get from place A to place B and still do their job and stay competitive. Um, those are the people that, that I think, and, and it, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, one of the underlining premises of your story is that morale, shall we say, or, um, mm -hmm. you know, just, I, I think certainly there's a mental health component to this in, in terms of the toll that, that the current landscape is taking on, on the college coaches community. And so when I say the pendulum is swinging, 
I think we're finally starting to see some some acknowledgement of what the current schedule is doing to the coaches. And again, I'm not talking about the power five head coaches or even the power five assistant coaches. I'm talking about the the 80% of the the rest that, that nobody's really thinking about. So with without a doubt, that's a major component and why I wrote it. And although those lesser known coaches aren't as quoted as heavily in my stories, it is a major factor. And I'll end on this. There is consideration for the players here too, in this regard, because the transfers are looking for places to land they didn't want to give them short shrift in April. And so mm. because high school players might be getting short shrift with coaches not going out, they say, okay, put that yeah. in May when we are when we can deal with the portal. So they are actually trying to give as much attention as possible to every single aspect of this while understanding there is no perfect answer, there's no perfect solution, but at least we can get a little warm balance because it doesn't matter if you make $30,000 as a third assistant, a low major, Adam, or if you are making millions and millions of dollars Um stress and mental health. It's still, it's a major thing. And just no, because real. It, it doesn't mean we can't try to make it better. So they are trying to make it better. And this, yeah, for us, this will, this could mark literally the biggest off season overhaul to the calendar that we have seen in a generation. Matt, thank you so much. Everybody should go read this work to get uh, much more in the weeds with some of the details. CBSSports.com. You can follow Matt on Twitter, Matt Norlander, N-O-R-L-A-N-D-E-R, Matt Norlander on Twitter. Matt, as always, thank you very much. Thanks, Adam. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. Ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hang on! It's off the charts spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. All right, Ibas, you and I were in Memphis, Tennessee last week for the final week of the NCA recruiting period at the NCA Academy. Uh, and this was four days, although you were there, geez, you were there. You were in Tennessee for the better part of a week, but um, it was a better part of four days. It was basically divided into three segments. You have what they call the individual pathway, which is basically a camp for 400 players around the country. Then you have what they call the team pathway, which is basically a team tournament only for 15 and under and 16 and under teams, 24 teams in each of those two divisions, 48 teams total, but basically no rising seniors in the team tournament. And then finally, you had the Canadian basketball group who did some workouts and things as part of it. So you basically had those three or four components all rolled into one. Uh, the event was totally free of cost, if I'm not mistaken, for not only the participants, but also for the NCAA coaches. Uh, and this was quite a big expenditure uh, for the NCA. I'm I'm going to say this. I was pleasantly surprised by what I saw in, in Memphis. I thought it was a, a worthwhile few days from an evaluation standpoint. Um, but what was your overall take on the week? Yeah, th there's a lot of money spent into it, but it seems to be have been money well spent on it. Um, you know, not only did the players and the teams all get in for free, but they each got to have a guardian come along that the NCA paid for the expense. So there's, 
there's some tweaks, you know, ideally you'd like to see a few more better players doing the individual route, but all in all, I think it was a pretty big success in the addition of the U S open, the 15 U and the 16 U yeah. to the event really added a lot of coaches. And it was a deal where, you know, Monday was pretty lightly attended, but by Tuesday and Wednesday, I think several staffs, I know, cause I spoke to them who had not planned on devoting any time to the NCAA Academy realized, Hey, we need to come here because it's, an actual chance to watch young kids that they don't usually get. That That's what I really liked about, about it. From an evaluator's perspective, I thought this was a great week because the 17 and under teams that we see in three uh, SSB and UAA and Peach Sham, like they're spent right now. I, we don't, we don't need to watch them anymore. It's not good. It's not good basketball. You, you know, it's not a great um, evaluation setting at this point in the month. So I thought not including them really allowed college coaches, evaluators like ourselves to focus on the young kids and, and for college coaches, they don't have to babysit any of those older kids anymore. So I I really like that part of it. The other thing it does is it it basically releases college coaches who don't want to be there. Like, Hey, you don't want to invest time releasing, uh, evaluating the younger kids. You don't have to come. Uh, but if you do, if you value that, if you value getting eyes on them, if you value being able to track their pro- progress over the years, now you've got days where you can devote entirely to the young, the youngsters, the underclassmen that didn't previously exist. So uh, what did you think about leaving out the 17 and under teams? Because I obviously uh, ended up liking that part of it. Yeah, I, 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 was, I wasn't mad at it. Now, I would suspect that as this event evolves over time that we'll see the inclusion of 17 and under teams Mm -hmm. but that may be a year or two down the road but i think we'll see some things to do with perhaps some date changes to be a little bit earlier in the summer and Mm -hmm. then including 17 u teams but it's definitely going to evolve and for as much as people like to take shots at the ncaa and, and certainly we've done plenty of that here i do think they deserve some credit here they've been taking feedback they've been really adjusting things they've been trying to adjust the recruiting calendar they've you know people slammed this ncaa basketball academy the first time they did it back in 2019 and after a couple years off for the pandemic and restructuring it they brought back a completely revamped thing and i think they're still going to take more steps to, to keep revamping but all in all you know really good experience Now, the camp portion you could have rising seniors at. I know you spent a lot of time watching that that, uh, individual pathway at its called. Who did you think was the best player in the camp? For the best player in the camp, at least while I was watching, it was T. Bartlett, a guy that we have in our top 70 in the class of 2025. He's a a big man out of Las Vegas. He's 6'10", nearly 275 pounds. Um, I think you got to see him some, too, at Peach Jam, Adam. He's a guy that... When, when he makes up his mind to dominate and be tough around the rim, he's a load, but he's in this camp, he was really able to showcase a lot of the other stuff that he does. He's got great hands, great feet. And he's a spectacular passer for a big guy. And he's the guy that looks like, you know, if he continues to get himself in better shape and shows off all these other things, you know, he's a guy who has a, a significant ceiling to move up in the rankings and impact college basketball, potentially the highest level. So it was a really good chance to see him in a setting where he could really individually shine. You know, the guy who I finally got to lay eyes on was was Alec Blair from California. And as we know, he is a two sports star who doubles not only on the hardwood, but also on on the baseball diamond. And so that means he hasn't been as easy to evaluate this spring as, as some of the other players who are, you know, playing with grassroots teams consistently. But 
Uh, this was, you know, the first time that I'd been able to lay eyes on him this spring, the big lefty wing with some big guard type attributes. I don't know that I saw the big point guard advertised, but could certainly play make, saw the passing, really saw the, the overall feel for the game. Um, I thought he had a really good mid-range game. He was able to elevate and score over top of people. Three-point shot uh, was capable, certainly an area that needs to keep improving. He had a stretch, I think it was the morning of uh, Tuesday, where he scored six straight points uh, to really deliver his team the win and then came up with, with the, uh, the game-winning block. Another nationally ranked prospect uh, who played in this event, just a rising junior, but someone who, who I was really appreciative to have the opportunity to see in this different kind of environment. Another guy who who might have had the biggest or certainly one of the bigger followings all week long was the big fella from Houston, uh, Trent. And, and you you followed him. You watched him closely. What were your thoughts on, on what you saw this week? Did you see anything different in this setting that you didn't see during the EYBL? Yeah, this was a real eye opener when it comes to Trent Burns. Um, we're talking about a kid who looks to be every bit of the seven foot three that he's listed at. And it's a guy that while playing in the EYBL with the Houston Hoops, has primarily just kind of hung around the mm. three-point line and hoisted jumpers. Well, I watched him play multiple games in this setting where he did not take a single three-pointer. Now, mm. there was still some jumpers taken, some back foot jumpers, the, the dirt jumper, things like that. But what I got to see is a guy who has an incredibly high level of skill around the basket, uses either hand, he has jump hooks, the jumpers, he can pass. Um, you know, he doesn't seem like he's moving particularly fast sometimes, but you got to remember, he's seven foot three. He's a massive human being. So sometimes he's moving much quicker than you realize. But he's starting to fill out. He's going to be able to carry a lot more weight on that frame. And, you know, he's been to Purdue. He's been to Rice. I, th I think he's just getting off a visit to Tulsa. He's got a lot more coming in. And he's a guy that, to me, is a guy we don't have ranked right now. But I, I think we need to think about not only ranking, but being fairly aggressive with it and, and seeing, you know, where might this guy be in four or five years down the road? Because he's got a lot of the classic indicators of a late bloomer. And one of those guys that maybe a few years down the road, people are like, how the heck was he not ranked higher than this? And, yeah. you know, with what he's able to do at that size, <laughs> with what he's able to do at that size, it's something to, to really take a close look at, I think. Yeah, and I know uh, Juwan Howard, Fran McCaffrey, two of the head coaches that were very prominently uh, courtside to see him play, along with with several others. Um, now, in the team portion, I focused primarily on the the sixteen and unders, the tenth graders, rising eleventh. You watched some of the fifth, uh, fifteen unders. We're going to get to them, but I want to start with the sixteen and unders, where where JL three out of Texas won the championship. But whether it was on that team or any others, any big takeaways for you, whether it was standout players or anything else about this group? Um, it was just a, a really well-played event. Um, you know, the JL3 team, I really love. They've got their big, they've got their big um, trio with Shelton Henderson and, and Patton Pinkins and the big guy, Nigel Walls and Sebastian William Adams. I guess that's four guys, not a trio, yep. all of them high major guys, all of them guys that, you know, are ranked nationally. And, and really backed it up. You know, they looked like possibly the best team headed in, and they certainly played at that. But in the 16U division, my, my big takeaway was with a guy who led his team to the, the finals, a class of 2026 kid, Brandon McCoy, um, mm -hmm. who just blew me away with what he did for the Arizona Unity. Pushing six foot four, 15 year old. He's long, he's quick, he has outstanding instincts. You know, obviously, with a kid that young, there's going to be a little bit of an up and down, but. 
you know, watching him play, my mind kind of went back to seeing guys like De'Aaron Fox at a young age, guys who can score and play make. And he's, I think he set himself up as, you know, arguably the best point guard prospect in that class of 2026 and likely the best player I saw, regardless of pathway, regardless of division. Yeah, he was, um, you know, I watched him the first night there. He was skilled, too. I mean, he's got that high release. He can make pull-ups. He can make threes. I, I was really impressed uh, by that. In, in terms of JL3, you've got a feature right now on 247sports.com about Shelton Henderson. Uh, I had written about Sebastian Williams Adams. You know, for me, one of the reasons why, uh, you know, I struggle some to watch the underclassmen is because there can be a disconnect between the best player and the best prospect. And I think sometimes with that JL3 team, like I, I was watching and I thought, um, you know, Shelton Henderson dominated a lot of the games I watched. Um, he's just so strong, so assertive. But Williams Adams, I was just, I, I thought his upside was really glaring, at least the games I watched. Um, I thought he, he really made some some nice strides laterally, showed some signs of defensive versatility, super long. Show, thought he, he showed uh, progression of his jumper, made a couple threes, but at the same time did it in a way that didn't sacrifice his efficiency. You know, he was, he was on the glass, he was trying to get to the rim, trying to get downhill. Um, so I was really excited about what I saw from him. Anybody else in the uh, whether it's in that 10th grade uh, division or the ninth grade division that really stood out for you? Because I know you you do uh, value seeing these kids early and kind of starting the book on them uh, at the, those underclassmen stages. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's pretty wild because I, I could sit here and go over specific players all day long. Right. From the from the 15U, because I spent a lot of time with them, too. But yep. I think the general thing, the general takeaway here is just how strong the class of 2026 looks mm. in general. It feels like almost every time I saw a guy catching my eye on something like, Oh wow, he's another 2026 guy. You know, right. I, I was pretty surprised by the overall level of talent on the 2000, on the 15 U teams, you know, the 15 U event was won by, uh, by, by pro skills out of the Dallas area. Um, good week, really good nice week for Texas. Yes. Yes. Very good week for Texas. And, you know, I guess, Good week for the YBL too for scoring there since they won both of the both of the events. But you know, just in general, the class of 2026 is strong, and yeah. you can see we've had a ton of coverage on it up on 24/7 Sports. But you know, I guess I, we gotta gotta mention the guys from that winning team. They had a trio that I really like, and Marticio Hayes, Cameron Lomax, and Seven Spurlock. Hayes is a hard driving six foot three, six foot four ish um, shooting guard who couldn't be kept from the rim. Cam Lomax was a really crafty athletic point guard who got into things. And then Seven Spurlock is just a big, strong utility wing. And that trio, again, you know, you, you bring up a thing of not always the best talent wins at that age group. It's the yeah. best teams. They were definitely the best team, but they were also pretty dang talented too. So these are guys that we're going to hear a lot more over the future and project as high major guys. All right, two more names I will mention in the uh, 16 and under division. Davion Hanna from Mac Irvin Fire. Uh, he was dynamic, especially on Wednesday, that, that last full day. He had a buzzer beater um, in an overtime. It was a consolation game, but it was, I haven't seen the clip of it. I was assuming that it would pop up somewhere on social media, but he broke a tie to beat the buzzer with one of the most dynamic slashes I've seen in a long time. And that was kind of what he was doing all week, just unstoppable when he decided he wanted to get to the rim and not settle for jumpers. He was impressive. I also thought Malachi uh, Moreno, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, from Indiana Elite. I mean, he's right around seven feet. 
um, good hands, good touch, presence in the post, and that that was another really good team, that Indiana Elite 16 and under team. Um, got a lot more on this, 247sports.com. Uh, again, this is kind of a, a uh, on-the-road edition of uh, College Basketball Recruiting Weekly as we are wrapping up the live period, but we will be back next week in the studio. We look forward to seeing you then, and be sure to keep it locked on 247sports.com and the 24-7 Sports channel for a variety of upcoming college commitments and announcements. New CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCS! And join our elite team. What are the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? A new NCIS, Monday, 9, 8 central, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.